0: this Christmas about gifts. We've been giving gifts and then we've been talking about the gift of Christmas that God is giving us. And the exciting thing about this gift is it's a gift that's been thousands of years in the making. We could probably even say it went all the way back to Adam and Eve when our first parents sinned and God said, I need to redeem my children. And so there were promises throughout Scripture 2,000 years before Jesus got here, 1,000 years, 700 years, all these different promises. And I told y'all there's like 700 Different prophecies about the Messiah, who he would be, what he would do, where he would be born. We saw that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be of the bloodline of the great King David, that he would be um, a provider for his people, that he would be like a shepherd. We've seen all of those things. And then I want us to turn to the book of Isaiah today. And Isaiah is going to talk about more about who he, can, who he will be, but also what he will do. And so that's what I want to turn to today, what he will do. This is Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. This is key. This is the doing part. For you will break off the yoke of their slavery, and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God, thanks be to God for this promise and the many others that tell us who the Savior will be and the amazing assurance that we get that when Jesus came, 700 promises and he fulfilled those, written hundreds of years before he got here, and this one is going to talk about what he will do. It's who he is, right? He will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David like we talked about last week. But what will he do? He will break the yoke of their slavery. Yoke was like something oxen wore, and it got on your shoulders, and they had to pull forward. He will break the yoke of the slavery, lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. He's going to set people free. And so the story that Luke tells begins with God giving freedom, a small freedom, to a childless couple. Now, God has always been a God of freedom. That is like one of the default settings that God does. If you think of God, you think of a liberator, of a rescuer. God rescuing his people from slavery, rescuing them from the exile. When enemies came against them, rescuing them. Like Gideon has his whole army of men, right? And God says, I'm going to rescue you. And they start eliminating all these tens of thousands of people until he just has 300. And with 300 people... God delivers the nation of Israel, right? So all of these rescues, kings and judges and prophets and just ordinary people, always God is working to rescue people. And at this time, the, in the first century when Jesus arrived, the people were crying out for rescue. They were crying out to be rescued from the Roman Empire this time, who was oppressing them, who wasn't letting them worship freely. who was putting people like Herod to rule over them. They were calling out, please God save us, give us back our nation, let us be independent. This is when the Messiah came, but he came to do so much more than rescue us from a government, right? Set us free, you know, give us a new government, Lord, right? We're still, we still have to live with that, right? But eventually the government will be on his shoulders, right? That's our promise, that eventually we will be in this rule when Jesus returns, where it will be perfect. Till then, we are going to always be calling for deliverance. These people are calling for deliverance, and he goes to this one couple. The an angel of God goes to Zachariah and Elizabeth. They are an old couple. He's a priest, and they have never had, been able to have kids. That is the heartbreak of their lives. They have a beautiful relationship. They love the Lord, but they're childless. And so the angel appears to Zechariah while he's in the temple and says, you are going to have a son. And he's going to announce that the Messiah is coming. And Zechariah says what you would have said, what I would have said, whoa, wait a minute. I'm too old for that. You know, you've got the wrong guy. Do you realize who you're talking to? And the angel says, look, because you doubted, you're not going to be able to talk. And so what, what the good that God brought out of that is as Zachariah goes home, sure enough, his wife Elizabeth becomes pregnant. Um, he's watching his beautiful but elderly wife grow great with child, speechless. So all he can do is reflect on how God has rescued him, right? Because the desire of their life was a child, they had given up, and here comes God and says, you're going to have a child, and not just any child, a child who will prepare the way for the Messiah, who will announce his coming. And so is reflecting on all of this. He's reflecting on this smaller rescue. And as I told you, the people of God, unlike us, would have had these scriptures by memory, would have known all the promises about the Savior. And so I'm sure that Zechariah was reflecting on that. He was thinking over it. And as he sees his wife, Elizabeth, and as she gives birth to John, um, and, they, and all the people gather around, and they're just like, what a miracle. What an amazing thing. God has blessed you, and let's name this kid Zachariah. And Elizabeth's like, no, no, we need to name him John. They're like, no, Zachariah's not going to like that, right? And so they go over, and they I don't know why they did this, but the Bible says they make signs to him. He's not deaf. He can't speak. But they're making signs like, do you want, you know, Him to be named Zechariah. And he he writes down, his name is John. His name is John. And as soon as he writes that down, he can speak again. God gives him back his voice. And you know what the first thing he does is? Zechariah, that old man, reflecting on all the good that God is doing, becomes a prophet. And he speaks one of the last prophecies over his little newborn son, who he thought he'd never have, And over his niece, Mary, who's pregnant with the Messiah. And he speaks this prophecy. This is what he says. It echoes the words of Isaiah. He says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and he has redeemed his people. Now, I love that for so many reasons. Mostly because the verb tenses are wrong. He has come. Now, when. Zachariah is looking at John. John's just the one that's going to prepare the way. Where is Jesus? In utero. But he says, "God has come." And what does he say, God has redeemed His people? Zachariah has such faith that he knows, I'm not going to live to see that day, but it's already happened." It's a fact. It's a reality. I love his faith in this moment. And then I love how he talks about redemption. Now, we talk about rescue, right? We think of, um, I try, actually, I've been trying not to look at all the tragedy in Connecticut, but every time I do, I see heroic people. I see that those administrators, while everyone's running away from the gunfire, is running to, to try to rescue those kids, to give their lives. I am humbled by people who would do that for children, by a woman who would hide her children in her classroom and give her life so that the gunman would go away. We think of those as rescuers. They rescued those children. But we don't think a lot about redemption, right? We, we wouldn't say they redeemed them. That's like an old-fashioned word. It's, a, it's an old-fashioned from the first century kind of a word. And God is known as a rescuer and a deliverer and as a redeemer. And that's the word that Zechariah chooses. He says, you have redeemed And what redemption meant is um, it pertained to slavery. The Roman Empire, remember, bad, had 60 million, not thousands, 60 million slaves. If you couldn't pay your debts or if you committed a crime or if you were in a war and lost, which happened all the time with Rome, then they took you and made you a slave. And the only way you could get free is if you were redeemed. If someone paid the price of your life then you get to go free. Now, for people in, who were impoverished, who were living below subsistence, which is almost everyone in Jesus' day, just trying to figure out what they were going to eat that day, there was no way, if you lost someone you loved, to redeem them. There was, you could work your whole life and not have enough money to pay Rome to let them free. And so the only way that people were redeemed is if their ruler, if they were from a different country, and their ruler, that king, paid a ransom to redeem them, and got his people back. And see, so what Zechariah is saying is, praise you, God, because you have redeemed your people. I see it. The ransom is paid. Isn't that awesome? The ransom is paid. And what the people would find out, what Jesus would teach them is, they thought they were going to be ransomed from Rome. They weren't ransomed from Rome. They were ransomed from what's in their hearts from a much greater enemy, from the enemy that has been stalking our footsteps since we were first put on this planet and God gave us all the bounty of the earth and said, all of this is yours, but not that one thing. And what did our father and our mother way back say? Well, forget this, we want that. That one thing that's off limits, that's what I want. And still today, I'm sure you know this in your own heart, that one thing that's off limits, that's the thing you're always looking at. That one thing that you know you shouldn't do, that's what you go and do. And so we drag around all of these chains. And I can't see you carrying these, although sometimes I see it work its way out into life. You hide it very well. We all do. But we live with hearts in chains. Slaves. Slaves to the bad choices we've made and the sins we've committed and the people we've hurt and the relationships we have broken. I mean, if you could see the spiritual baggage we carry around with us, it would be just this clanking. It would be so much worse than this. I got this. Mac has all these keys and chains. And I said, could you just let me have this? Because a lot of times this is what it feels like, only without the key. It just feels like your heart will be locked up forever. And so what does Zachariah say? He says, thank you, God. The key has come. The ransom has been paid. We are set free. That's what he says. It's already happening. And so the first thing I want you to know today is this great gift of Christmas, that this is better than anything else you'll ever get. God can do for you something that nobody else on earth can do. Something that you can never do for yourself. God can unlock the chains around your heart and let you walk free. He can forgive you. He says that as far as away as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins. They can never catch you again. You can be reborn, a new person. This is the gift of Christmas that salvation, redemption, deliverance, rescue has come. That's exciting. So that's the first part. And if you hear nothing else today, then I want you to hear that. Because that's really good news. Here's the second part. Um, What do we do with that once we're free? I mean, do we like go out and do a little dance? I'm free. Find some other people. You're not. You know? What What do we do with our freedom? What does God want us to do with these lives? Well, first of all, he wants when... When we are unhandcuffed, we are suddenly free to be the people that he's always known we could be, but that sin was always holding us back. Like Gustavo can play the piano now, right? He's got those gifts, but when you're handcuffed, you can't use your gifts. You, know, you can give people hugs. You're free. Walk out. Breathe. Be reborn. Be the person that you know God wants you to be. Be that person. That's the first thing. And the second thing is what we do when we encounter people who are broken. Anybody know any broken people? Anybody ever encounter those broken people? I do. I know you do. What do we do with them? Well, what Jesus did with those broken people was he listened to them. He healed them. He always had time for them. All the people that nobody else had time for, did you ever notice in the gospels people are calling out to Jesus? The blind will call out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the whole crowd is like, Shh, this isn't important, guys. So shh, sh- sh-. you know, you are stop talking. And Jesus will always hear and respond. Or like somebody comes and brings their children, and we're like, please will you bless these children, Jesus? And the disciples are like, Jesus is way too important for that. And Jesus is like, No. Or some notorious reprobate sinner comes up and says, hey Lord, will you have lunch with me? Everybody's like, no, we know what you're like. And Jesus is like, yeah, sure, where are we going? Let's, let's go there. You know, he got in big trouble because he was always associating with the people who were diseased, who were, you know, sinful, who the whole, all the proper religious people would have nothing to do with those people because they had just gone astray, right? They use potty words and they just lived the wrong kind of a life. And I saw them smoking over there and, you know, all this kind of stuff that they didn't do the right thing. That didn't matter to Jesus. What mattered was their heart and that he could heal them. And so what I would think is if we are set free by this Lord, by this Savior, then our job is to follow him and to care about the people nobody else cares about. And this is hard to do. This is really challenging, because it will call us out of our self-centeredness to think about others in this world. Even people who we would rather leave on the side of the road. And I always remember um, a story, a very sad story, from one of my first years in ministry. This wasn't at my church, it was my friend's church. Um, But it was was December 23rd, like today. And they were doing a run-through before Christmas Eve, and y'all don't realize, but we do a lot of run-throughs and we practice and then we get here and it just looks like perfect, like it wasn't planned at all or anything, but they were doing a run-through and the soloist was singing, Oh Holy Night. Do y'all know Oh Holy Night? It's lovely. We're going to sing it on Christmas Eve. We'll practice it too. So they go through the whole service. The singer is singing Oh Holy Night, skips a verse. And so my friend, the pastor says, after the soloist had finished, hey, You missed a verse, and so let's go back through. It was this verse, and um, let's sing it again and practice it all the way through. And this is where the shocking thing happened. The soloist got really angry and, like, puffed up his chest and put his shoulders back and lifted his chin and said, I didn't forget a verse. I left it out on purpose. And the pastor was like, why did you leave out that verse? And he said, I hate that verse. And I won't sing it because I don't believe it. And so there's like this stunned silence like y'all are like, oh my gosh. I don't know. And my friend who was a pastor said, that is the heart of the gospel, that verse. And you need to sing it. And he said, then find another soloist. And he stormed out. And so they found another soloist. Yes, because... The verse that he had refused to sing was, Chain shall he break, for the slave is my brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. And this man, a Christian for who knows how many years, could not sing this verse because he could not imagine offering God's salvation to someone with a different skin color. Now I want to tell you a really hard truth is that people are watching you because you're here every Sunday. And so they're watching to see how you live your life and if it looks different than everybody else's life. And what's so sad to me is when people see the lives of Christians and say, well, I don't want that because they're just as mean and nasty and whatever as everybody else. We are freed so that our lives can be transformed, and the sad thing is you can come to church for years of your life and never be set free, so be set free. If you need that freedom, you come and talk to me, and I'll tell you how today that key can unlock your heart. But the second thing is, when we are set free, the challenge is to follow after our Savior who, when he came to this earth, always heard the cry of the needy, never walked past someone who was hurting, never said, you know what? I'm not going to offer forgiveness to them because they don't talk like me or they don't dress like me or they, don't, they just don't live the right kind of life. Um, Jesus isn't just for the right kind of people. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God, because I wouldn't get in and I'm so, a lot of us wouldn't get in. We're all imperfect. And so our call as we receive this gift of Christmas is to not only let that, our hearts be set free, but then to look for the people who are lost in the darkness. And to say, you know what, I know the key. His name's Jesus. And it will cost us, and we will have to be nice, and it will stretch our limits, and it will be wonderful. And the world will change. It will change. And when it does, it will look like this. This is one Christian community. You may have heard about them in the news. This is the way they showed redemption to people who nobody else did. And so I want us to watch this.
1: When you walk around the grounds of Gainesville State School, you'll see just about everything you would on any other high school campus. There are students, a teachers, looking for a, wife. a computer lab, and a gym. Except here, the students are convicted criminals. It's an incarceration facility for kids that have uh, violated the law. Each day starts at a tiny dorm room they call home and continues marching from class to class abiding by a strict schedule. In fact, the one thing that makes them feel like kids again is football.
2: i like you remote model on campus, you know what I'm saying? Everybody want to play on the football team.
1: Just to put on a tornado's uniform is a reward, not a right. You must have good behavior and good grades. Not to mention, every game is played on the road. But it's worth it to escape on Friday nights and enjoy a small piece of freedom they gave up. But each week, there comes that constant reminder of who they are and what they've done.
2: They don't treat us as a regular person in the world. They treat us like we're just some alien just from somewhere out just out of nowhere. I mean, they look at us like animals in a cage, like we don't deserve a second chance or another opportunity to be something in life.
1: After hearing the ridicule and losing eight straight weeks, the tornadoes were once again on the road, traveling to play private school power Great Faith for the first time, who had moved up a division. Their head coach, Chris Hogan, had a game plan in mind, and it had nothing to do with football.
2: We were going to show them that in this country, if you make the right decisions, people will get on your side and support you, and it doesn't matter what your background is, you can make it.
1: In a selfless suggestion, Coach Hogan sent out an email and requested his fans, his players, parents, do something so out of the ordinary in the football culture. He asked them to cheer for Gainesville State. These young men will not
2: have any fans outside of the faculty from their own school. Their parents will not be there. I want some Lion fans to sit on the visitor side and cheer for the Gainesville team throughout the game.
1: I thought, okay, this is this is cool that Chris wants us to do this, leading up to it, but getting there that night, it was so easy to transition from being a fan for the Faith Lions to a fan for the Tornadoes. You
2: know, the idea of, uh, of giving uh... And just being there to support those kids, those young men that have never had that before.
1: So for the first time, the the always-on-the-road tornadoes would feel as if they were at home. And as kickoff approached, it was obvious something was different.
2: It looked like they thought they were at the wrong end of the field, because they know they don't have any fans. And we was just looking, I just looked. I just kept doing my plays. I seen how they were split up, but I figured they just didn't have enough room on their side. I want you all to line up in line. They're making a spirit line i like, say, what, Cause <laughs> He said, can you beat that? And uh, he said, they're making a spear line for y'all to run through. I'm like, that's what's up, sir. That's what's up.
1: When it happened, it was just, it was dynamic. It was one of the most unbelievable things I'd ever seen. When
2: I ran through this, like, I felt like it was just like some, like angels was on me. That's all, that's all I felt. I was just running through as fast as I can. I just feel the wind rushing my face.
1: That feeling of being unleashed lasted throughout the game, and so did the cheers. We had a penalty like the third play of the game, and I heard booing behind me. I turned around, and it was
2: a great time. I remember when I was making like a play, I made a chocolate, and people yelling my name. I'm like, I don't even know these people.
1: They were just like ours that night. I I can remember rooting for their little quarterback and I felt like he belonged to me. Our kids were their kids and their kids were our kids and all kids were the same. It wasn't enough to lead the Tornadoes to victory. As expected, Grapevine Faith won 33-14 and the Tornadoes finished the season 0-9. But it didn't matter because for the first time in a long time, someone was in their corner and that alone was worth celebrating.
2: I was like, hey, y'all, this is going to get close man. me. I don't care. I don't care if we lost tonight, man, because I was feeling good. I feel like we were the Super Bowl championship game or something. Like we won that. I mean, winning, like, in our heart, spiritual-wise, I mean, we
1: won. I'm, I've been in state championships of different kinds. There's nothing was like this, nothing. Isaiah and the rest of the Tornadoes will never forget the feelings they had on that night. And while it didn't erase the mistakes they've made, it showed 14 teenagers that, regardless of the bad things they've done in their past, there was reason to look ahead.
2: I cried <laughs> when I when, when after the game I went back to my room. I cried. I Think that your your family are the only ones that love you. God ain't the only one that love you. Other people love you too. This is what I was hoping and praying would happen. I hope that it gave them hope. I see the world in a different way now. I mean, I'll just see like I'm the victim no more. So much love because you know I came from a broken home family. So, I mean, having all that love, it just just rolls my spirits up. They got to be kids that night. They got to be a teenager and experience Friday Night Football in Texas.
0: Do you see that kid was named Isaiah? And he experienced the reality that our prophet Isaiah spoke of, that Jesus would break the yoke of slavery and lift the burden. And the way that that was done wasn't because one person did it. It was because a community of people who believe like we do got together and said, you know what? We're going to root for the other team. We're going to help them know that no matter what the past was like, today can be a new, fresh start. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the people who have come alongside of us when we thought we were all alone and who have reminded us of your love and have helped us see that you are the key to set our hearts free. And so, Lord, as we walk free into this life you've given us, and we are so grateful, there's nothing we can do to repay you for taking away our sins. And yet we would ask that you would help us to shine your light into the darkness for somebody else, that we could be, um, like these kids said, an angel for someone else, to cheer for them and to help them find their way home for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand up. Let's sing our closing song. And if you'd like to join with the church today, we'd love to have you come up and find me. I'm on the front row up here.